0: Hello everyone and welcome back to Bougie Best Friend Podcast. I have Caris Thompson here. I'm very excited to chat with you. We go way actually not so long ago, but we, we known each other for a while now. We met through podcasting. I was on your podcast, I feel like that was in February. Was it was, was yeah. it
1: right? February, January time frame
0: yeah and today you reshared one of our clips from when i was on your podcast we're we're roughing some feathers here i just learned that term so i've been that. using it uh the the video you shared i actually it's on my page too so it's on both of our pages uh it's about having sex on the first date and i said that i feel like you should just you know if you feel a connection you should sleep with the guy whenever you feel a connection but again all of my um uh, All of my, but again, all of my, you know, advice is coming from knowing the man a little bit before. So not just like sleeping with a dude at the moment, you like, feel horny. So I feel like a lot of people are just jumping onto that, but... Without talking about sex too much in the first minute, Carice, how are you doing? How is everything?
1: <laughs> <laughs> everything is good. Thank you so much for having me back on. I am so excited to have this conversation, see where things go. As always, our conversations are always interesting and exciting and a little controversy, and that's okay.
0: <laughs> we ruffled always a, little a little feathers today. <laughs> I gotta say, uh, I need to give you a little shout out that you helped me a lot when I was starting with my podcast with just like setting everything up and you using tools and mics and all that so thank you again
1: oh you're welcome it's a lot of work people don't realize how much work goes into podcasting it is a lot of work so I'm proud of you you're doing great thank you
0: and speaking of work you have many different jobs I would love for you to share all of (laughs) those
1: I feel like I'm doing a million different things. Yes. Yeah, so, first and foremost, I am a licensed clinical social worker. What does that mean? So, I am a psychotherapist. I am a therapist with mental health and different things that involve self care and well being. And I also am a podcaster, as you said, and, and that's something that's Sits near and dear to my heart because I wanted to help people on more of a macro level, on more of a worldwide level, because not everybody can afford therapy and not everybody feels comfortable going to therapy. So I wanted to give a resource for free that people can utilize in order to improve their mental health or just improve their life. I'm also a mom and I'm a veteran as well. I served in the Marine Corps for four years. And yeah, and I still work a part time job. So I'm still working a day job too as a therapist as well. And I do private practice and I also dabble in tarot reading. So yeah, I do a little bit of everything, but my main goal is to help people.
0: I love that. How old is your daughter?
1: She is almost 14 going on 40. I feel like sometimes because she's so damn smart.
0: (laughs) How does she, uh, how does she look at you like being on social media? I feel like I never really asked that question.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know exactly how she feels about it. But I think that she doesn't really have a problem with much. She's so down to earth and so grounded. Nothing really bothers her. I I feel like I'm the child sometimes and she's the mom because she's so grounded, but she does take an interest in some of the guests that I have. And she'll ask about like, what are you doing today? What was your podcast about? And she's told me that a couple of her friends' parents listen to my podcast. So I'm like, she must be sharing it. <laughs> so <laughs> she's, she's super supportive. And I think that she, she likes the fact that I do certain things, but you know, she's a teen. So she's just like, oh, that's cool. You know, she's, she cares about her friends right now. And that's really the only thing that's, prevalent for her.
0: <laughs> I remember myself in my teenage days, I
1: was like, Mom,
0: stop talking to me. Shut the door. I don't want to talk to you. I, I was a little rebel. How is she how is she
1: doing <laughs> when it comes to that? Man, you know, she's, she's so different than what I was when I was 13. And I, I guess in a way, I, I feel so blessed because I always had that ear from my mom of, I hope you have a daughter who's just like you. And I didn't, you know. Mm-hmm. I really made a huge turnaround from when I was a teenager. I was, I was so just lost. And my daughter, I feel like she's just so grounded and she's so smart and she's growing up so different than what I did. But she also has a very different life. And mm-hmm. even where she's growing up is very different. And I would say she's a really healthy 13-year-old, but her lifestyle is so much more improved. It's more healthy than how I grew up. So I feel like I'm blessed in many ways, but I also feel like I have to take a little bit of credit because I worked really hard to make sure that she has a really healthy life, that she was exposed to healthy parents, that she had friends who were healthy, that she had what she needed, that she was able to go to places and be diverse and be exposed to different cultures. And that was a priority for me. But honestly, she's just so smart and she's my best friend. And I am so, so lucky. I like I hit the jackpot when it comes mm-hmm. to having a kid because she really is the best. Everyone thinks their kid is the best, but mine is the best. <laughs> <laughs> I think too as a single parent, I had to make sure that I was providing a really healthy life for her. I'm divorced myself. And so when I went through a divorce, it was really important that I provided a lifestyle for her that was going to be conducive to flourish into a healthy adult. And that's something that I didn't have access to. So In many ways i'm blessed i hit the jackpot when it comes to having a great kid and i think it was a little bit of a mix of me providing that healthy lifestyle trying to be the best parent i can be and then also just having a really smart kid and a very intuitive kid and i think that just has been such a blessing in my life thus far and i can't wait to see what happens in the next couple years when she grows up i don't want to think about Mm -hmm. that part though You mentioned you got a divorce. How was
0: that for you personally? And how was that for your daughter?
1: That was a really difficult time in my life. At the time, I had just gotten out of the Marine Corps and he just got out of the Marine Corps. We were both in the military together. That's where we met. And there was a lot of red flags even before we got married. But I think that being very young, I was in my early 20s at the time. And that was kind of what you did in the military. You got married, you had kids, like that was literally the culture. And I'm talking young, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, babies having babies. And so at that point we had already had a kid and I wanted to do the right thing. And I thought doing the right thing was getting married despite seeing all the red flags there, but I wanted to make it work so bad. And it was a very abusive situation, both physically, emotionally, mentally. And it got to the point where when the abuse started getting out of hand and my daughter was witnessing the abuse, when she was able to conceptualize and understand what was happening, and I knew that because there was a situation where it got out of hand, he put his hands on me, I was crying, she witnessed the situation, And the words that she said, because I'll never forget this, Dada hate you, mama. It's okay. It's okay. Don't cry. Don't cry. It's okay. And when you have a two and a half, three-year-old comforting you, it was at that point that I'm like, okay, I cannot be comforted by my child and put this on her to feel responsible for me because that's going to follow her into adulthood within her own relationships so that was the point where i'm like i have to get out of this like enough is enough i have to do this not only for myself but for my daughter because i'm modeling what a healthy relationship is and isn't so at that point we separated and I moved out or he moved out and I kept the home, ended up selling the home eventually. But it was a really difficult transition because at that point, now I'm a single parent and I'm not in the military anymore. I don't have any family support. So what am I going to do? And I was already in school and I had to make a decision like, okay, if I'm going to do this, I have to just go full time and just knock it out. And that's what I decided to do. I had the road in my head that I'm going to finish school. I am not going to let this situation deter me from providing a life for her. She was my motivator because of course I wanted to do good for myself, but at the end of the day, I had to provide for her because if I don't make something of my life, no one's going to do this for me. I had to make a decision and she was my number one priority. So I finished school. It took me a while, did did my bachelor's, went to grad school. And yeah, I had some student debt, it sucked. Um, It took me many years to pay that off, but I got through it, then I eventually got a job and the rest has been history. And I never thought I'd be doing what I'm doing now. But I truly believe that things happen for a reason. And I'm not saying it's your fault. But sometimes you have to learn and you have to grow from situations in order to move forward on the path that you're supposed to be on, whether that's your path, your purpose, whatever that means. But there's always lessons to learn, but it's up to you to learn them. And I feel like I had to take responsibility for my own healing because nobody was going to do it for me. It wasn't my fault that he was abusive. It wasn't my fault when he would put his hands on me, but it was my responsibility to move forward and heal because I could have wallowed in my pity and stayed there and went down a completely different path. And if you look at where I was from a child, the trauma that I had from a child going into now an abusive marriage, I was not supposed to be where I'm at right now. I had to make a conscious choice and that's what I did.
0: First of all, I wanted to thank you for openly sharing your experience and the situation you were in because I feel like a lot of women might be in a situation like you are but they are shy to talk to their friends maybe even embarrassed or they even embarrassed to admit to themselves that this is happening to them so going back to when you were married and how long were you guys together before the abuse started happening or like do you think there's something you could have done to see his kind of, you said there was a lot of red flags in the beginning, did you ever suspect that he would get actually abusive?
1: So no one goes into an abusive situation, like, oh, I'm gonna be abused. You know, we, it it happens very slowly, especially, especially when you're dealing with a narcissistic type of relationship or person, it starts out so subtle And you don't even really realize what's happening and almost until it's too late. And a lot of people are like, well, why didn't you just leave? It's easy to say that right from the outside because it's like a baseball game, right? Like we have a different view if if I'm the player, but if you're in the audience, you have such a bigger view of what's really going on. But when you're in the game, when you're actually in it, you don't see everything until it's almost too late. And when you're in that cycle, it's very manipulative because it's almost like they will literally take you from your friends, your family, and isolate you. And you feel ashamed and you feel like you have no one to turn to. You have embarrassment because a lot of times, too, it, in the cycle of abuse, it's almost like it. It can be really loving and you see this side of them that's amazing and then all of a sudden the abuse starts again and there's that shame and that guilt. Why did I stay? I shouldn't have given them another chance. So I think when I was in that cycle, A, I wanted it to work. I wanted that family life. B, I was scared to leave because I didn't know what I was going to do and I was told for so long, like, you're not going to be anything without me anyway. And there was just so much trauma, even built in from my childhood, that was trickling out in the marriage. I just didn't know. I didn't know how to move forward at the time. I was very unhappy, I would say, for the last two years, but really the last year. How and long you've been th-
0: married? How, how long you guys been married?
1: Yeah, so we were together for six years, but we were married for three And Mm -hmm. I would say the last year was probably the worst. And also, being in the military, we were separated for a long time. So we'd be in and out, in and out. The last year, we were really together for the first time, living together for a consecutive amount of time. And this really gave us a chance to always be around each other, which didn't help the situation. But... I think, again, my turning point was just I wanted him out of the house, but also legalities, I couldn't get him out. I couldn't just make him move. We were married. And in the state of Florida, if you own a house together, you can't just kick them out. It wasn't until I actually had a restraining order, I had court involved that I said, I will drop charges, but he needs to go. And that was finally when everything started turning and he moved. Believe it or not, we're we're on good terms now. And that was many, many, many years of work and forgiveness and growth on both of our ends. But again, it's not as easy as why can't you just leave? Because you have to mm-hmm. understand a lot of those people are in that cycle. And I think that's what happened to me.
0: You mentioned he's a narcissist. And I feel like a lot of people on social media are throwing that term around. But obviously you... Our therapist. I would love to hear from you what is an actual narcissist?
1: So, yes, you're right. We do hear this term all the time, right? And I think, like with the evolution of TikTok and Instagram, we hear narcissist and love bombing and gaslighting. And while everyone can have and does have narcissistic traits because it does fall on a spectrum, true narcissistic personality disorder will have key distinctions from perhaps someone that just has traits. So, when you have someone who is a true narcissist, everything that they're doing, is for themselves. They have such a deflated ego, and this really stems from childhood trauma. And although they might come out and they may appear that they're very confident. They're very, very insecure on the inside. And that is why they constantly need this exception from every single person around them. And everything that they do is fueling that. So you may have someone, so if you're meeting someone or you're in a relationship with somebody, you've heard the term love bombing, I'm sure all over the internet, but that is Even a very true, true <laughs> Yeah, and it, it is a very true term though. And love bombing is something that, occurs in the very beginning, but it's very hard and very fast. Now, are there exceptions to some situations that maybe somebody may truly feel really strong feelings in the very beginning or very fast? Sure. But typically when something's a little too good to be true, like you're my soulmate," I want to take you to Paris. I want you to meet my family. I want to move in. I love you. And you've only known them for two, three weeks. They don't know you enough to love you. That's a red flag right there. And once they start to reel you in a little bit, eventually they will do what's called the devaluation phase where they start to push you away. They may dangle the carrot a little bit in front of you to kind of keep you there. And you're left wondering like, what happened to this person who is showing me all this affection and love and now they're barely calling me or they've ghosted me or they're name calling me or they're making me feel like shit. And that's because that's the cycle that they have. And as soon as as you start to maybe, I'm going to leave or express those concerns, then they start to reel you back in with the love bombing phase all over again. And a lot of times what they do is gaslight you. And that's a term that we hear often as well. And gaslighting is really making you question your reality. Like, oh, I saw the number in your phone. Who's the girl calling you? I saw the text messages. Like, you're just insecure that's my sister. What are you even talking about? And so they will say things to make you question yourself. Like, am I going crazy? Cause I know he just said that. But oh, you meanwhile, said you were gonna... a guy doesn't even have a sister or something. Right. Like <laughs> you said, you were going to pick up the kids on Saturday at eight. I never said that. Like what, I have the text messages right here. What are you talking about? I never said that. Literally, they will make you feel like you are going crazy. And so those are just some of the warning signs that you can even look for if you're dating somebody. But typically, again, it it all comes from a really, really, low sense of self and a deep need to feel wanted and secure. But on the other end of it, they will use and abuse everyone around them for their own gain. They look at relationships like a utility. Like you you have a phone, like you have a phone, right? And if it breaks, you get a new one. You may keep it and throw it in the drawer if you need it, or if you want to upgrade. And every once in a while, you may pull it out to see if it works. But when they're done with you, they, they get a new one, they don't need you no more. It's literally, you're like a utility to them to feed their own needs.
0: You mentioned childhood trauma, which is something I really wanna talk about. I feel like it's so important to grow up in a healthy, obviously everybody wants to grow up in a healthy loving home, but I feel like we can see so much We can see we can learn so much about a person if we know how they grew up and if we can identify some of their traumas from when they were kids so i would love for you to speak about childhood trauma and how does that connect to the person how does that connect how does that translate into the people we are today
1: great question so first and foremost trauma is not linear Okay, so trauma is different for everybody. There's no one set of rules to say what's traumatic and what's not. But when you're a child and you are subjected to even chronic stress, whether it was berating, yelling, abuse, maybe you had a parent who was in and out, if you were constantly subjected to that stress over time, your nervous system is constantly activated, right? And then your attachment styles can be formed as a a child. So what does that mean? So let's start with attachment styles. So if you're a child, and let's say you have a mother who can be very confusing with their emotions, maybe sometimes she shows affection, maybe sometimes she resorts to not showing as much affection, or maybe she depends on you to comfort her or soothe her when she's sad or when she's depressed or when she's going through something. You might then grow up thinking that you have to... Be responsible for the emotions of everyone around you because you were responsible for the emotions of your parents or your parent when you were a child. So now as an adult in relationships, this can look like not having good boundaries, maybe not knowing how to say no, feeling responsible to fix people around you which then makes you more susceptible to be in abusive situations because of those lack of boundaries, because you feel responsible to fix people, because that is what you were taught when you were young. Now, take it back to when you were a child. If you're constantly in an abusive, traumatic, chronic stress situation or any of the above, your nervous system, which is what tells us if we need to flee, if we need to stay in fight, or if we need to stay calm. That's something that's naturally inside of our body, right? That is a survival tactic. So if your nervous system is constantly activated, meaning your body is ready to either fight or flight, because that's what happens when we are in a stressful situation, You associate that with love because that is what your parents are now showing you. That is what they're consistently showing you. And your nervous system is consistently activated. Now you go through life like this. And now as an adult in relationships, you are used to love being associated with an activated nervous system this may now look like you being in a toxic situation or somebody who could be abusive or somebody who could be a little bit on the you know not so good side because they're activating your nervous system and that is exciting because you are used to feeling that level of excitement or that that nervous system activation from when you were a kid that's what you're associating with love and you may now meet somebody who is a little bit on the boring side but really it might just it might just be that your nervous system is not being activated. So kind of looping it back, if you're going through childhood trauma or stress or chronic stress, that literally affects how we are in relationships as an adult. So if you're in a relationship now, you may even have more of an anxious attachment style. And what that may look like is constantly texting, constantly feeling like that person is going to leave you, worried that that person is going to leave you, not putting up boundaries, always wanting to people please. And these things can affect our relationships. And then you kind of go through this loop in this cycle. And people need to realize that even though you may not really understand trauma from when you're from from your past your body does and your body doesn't forget it because it automatically gets ready for this state of fear because it feels like something's going to happen and that takes a lot of work to rewire that so you mentioned um an anxious attachment style what are the other ones so there's a lot, and I'm more, I'm more savvy on the anxious side, but you have avoidant and you have secure. Those are the main ones. And there's some, like sub, some sub ones that kind of go along with those, but people who are avoidant, they may be the ones who ghost. They may be the ones who crave the intimacy, but then when they get it, they get scared of it right they may be the ones who like to be more independent and so when you take somebody who's anxious attachment and one who's maybe fearful avoidant or dismissive avoidant or you know avoidant in general the anxious is going to want to pull because they want to be close and although the avoidant may internally want that the closer that the anxious wants to get to the avoidant the more the avoidant pulls away and then you have the secure, and the secure is really okay with with everything, and that's really what you want to strive to be. They're okay with having independence. They're okay with having intimacy. They're okay if their partner needs a little bit of independence. They're okay if their partner wants a little bit of intimacy. Can you change from being an anxious or an avoidant to a secure? You You can, you can, but it takes a lot of work. So for me, for example, I was 100% anxious attachment, 1000%. The way that I grew up, childhood trauma, I took this into my relationships. I was constantly going through life with an activated nervous system, anxious attachment style, needing to constantly be validated, texting all the time, sending paragraphs. I was that girl. I literally was. And it took a lot of self-insight, a lot of therapy, a lot of even doing what I'm doing now to understand like, okay, I know that this is my trauma response, right? And that's okay. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with me. I just have to realize that this is a trauma response. Let me sit with this. Let me think about how I want to respond And then... Send the response. So, even doing things like that helped me to become a little bit more secure. I'll probably always have anxious tendencies, meaning I may ruminate or these thoughts may go through my mind, but I lead more with secure attachment now because I'm able to see things from a different perspective to be like, okay, this person may not be trying to avoid me. This person may really just be busy. And it's mm-hmm. just shifting that mindset and that perspective that can help change from maybe an anxious or an avoidant to a more secure avoidance are a little bit harder nothing Mm -hmm. wrong if you're avoidant but it's a little bit more difficult to become secure
0: something that just came to my mind as you were saying this which is not really related to attachment styles but it's about fighting so when you're fighting with your partner i saw this video recently on tiktok and i didn't try it because i didn't like get into a fight with my boyfriend but this is what i saw on tiktok so this girl said that the way that her and her boyfriend stopped fighting with each other. You know, like when you're fighting, you say a lot of nasty things that you might not mean, or you just say something to hurt each other or whatever. So I saw this video on TikTok and first when I saw it, I'm like, oh, this is ridiculous. But then when I thought about it, it actually makes sense. So what she, I don't know who the girl was and I would credit her if I did, but she said, when you start fighting with your partner, instead of just like saying things, whatever comes to your mind, try separating in two separate rooms and text each other about it. And then you're going to see what you're actually going to write because as you see yourself writing certain things, you're like, Whoa, why would I ever say that? Like if, if you, when you're fighting, if you use nasty words, you're not going to write in that message. You, you know, I don't even want to say the nasty words, but when you actually take a step back, take a deep breath. And when you have to like explode on that person again. I feel like it's a completely different conversation comparing to just like yelling at each other and you know, calling each other names and stuff like that. Uh, When it comes to, I also want to talk a little bit about verbal abuse and what that actually means because a lot of people, you know, when they're fighting, they are, oh, I didn't mean it. Oh, you know, I I, you know I love you. I, I you know that I would never say that. Like you, I said that just to hurt you, or oh, I just said that because I was angry. How do you deal with that? and where is that how can you even where's that healthy boundary of what is quote unquote allowed to say when you're fighting and what is a complete disrespect? I mean, I feel like whenever somebody calls you names, it's disrespectful, but how do you kind of separate that?
1: Great question. So anything that makes you feel bad that values you or even that just bothers you if it's something that you don't like you have the right to say i didn't like that now on the other flip of the coin though it is your responsibility to uphold that boundary and to say i didn't like it when you said this and th- this is how it made me feel because although you would think it's common sense that your partner should know not to say those things, or that saying X, Y, and Z makes you feel bad, they may not know. They may have their own trauma responses, and maybe that's how they grew up. Maybe they watched their mom and their dad fight, and to them, that's normal relationships. So it's up to you to say, hey, I need you to not say this, and I need you to communicate in a more appropriate way. I don't like it when you said this, because I felt bad when you said I was lazy, And it's up to you to communicate that need. Now, if they do not choose to respect that boundary or to uphold the boundary, it's up to you to follow through with it. So you have to be willing to say or do, if my partner doesn't uphold or respect my boundary, then I myself am going to uphold it, which if that means walking away, if that means creating space, whatever that means to you, but you have to be prepared to do that because it is up to you to state that those are your boundaries because not all the time is your partner going to be a mind reader. Now, with that being said, if you are in an unsafe situation, an abusive situation, you don't have to have any conversation. You have every right to get up and leave. You don't even owe them an explanation. If you feel like you are unsafe or that it is affecting your mental health, your physical health, or your well-being, you have every right to leave. But at times, I do feel like it is worth having a conversation to communicate your needs to your partner because they may not always know. But verbal abuse or any type of abuse, I think is it could be anything that makes you feel bad on a consistent basis. Now, if it was a one-time thing, sometimes we say things that we don't mean and we can get heated in the moment. But if there's something that's consistently happening and it is making you feel bad about yourself and you start questioning yourself, I would say either leave or at least have a conversation and and go from there.
0: You know, I get a lot of questions about like, well, my guy did this. We had a conversation about this already and this happened and nothing changed. And I just say, I mean, it's up to you to either accept that person for who they are or leave because nobody's perfect. And a lot of times people are creating these rules for their partner. But meanwhile, they are not doing their part. So I feel like that's also a big a big part of relationships to kind of hold each other accountable. Being in a relationship shouldn't feel like pain and it shouldn't feel like constant battle. But as you said, you know, some people grew up with that. Some people grew up with this constant fight or flight mode. And I feel like a lot of girls end up in these relationships with the same type of man. So I get a lot of questions like, you know, I feel like I'm attracting the same type of guy. I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to do that, but I always come across a cheater or a liar. But it's because you're used to that type of behavior. And as you said, Chris, like when you are with somebody who is a little bit boring for you, that might be boring because it's actually normal. And I will say this, love does not have to hurt like hell. I thought that before and I was like, I have to fight for love. I have to be so strong, like we're going to conquer. You know, you, you always think that you have to fight for love. But actual true love at least in my case right now, <laughs> I mean, doesn't feel so um, true love doesn't feel so hard,
1: like intense, I mean, yeah, and i I feel like. Like you, I thought love was supposed to be intense. I had to feel those intense feelings. It was all or nothing for me. And I knew in doing work that it was a trauma response. My nervous system was constantly being activated because growing up, my mom was always raging. She was always yelling at me. She was always calling me some type of name. You're just like your dad, you're this, you're that. And then I had a lack of a father in my life. So I didn't even have that male figure. So going into these relationships and even my experiences with men as a teenager, I thought that was love. I thought when I feel these intense feelings, like, okay, yes, he does this, but but it's love. But I know I feel love because this is what I was taught when I was younger. So I, I don't know any different. So it may be very well that you're going into different relationships attracting the same type of person because that's what you associate with a healthy relationship. You have to try to rewire how you view relationships. And that takes a lot of work. And you may see that a healthy relationship is in fact the complete opposite than maybe what you were shown growing up or maybe what you thought it was even in your adult life. And I think that that takes a lot of work if you are in an unhealthy situation. I I've, have preach that we teach people how to treat us. Now, I'm not victim blaming. Again, no one is saying that it's your fault if you're in an abusive situation or a toxic situation. But oftentimes, a lot of those red flags were there in the very beginning. And when we feel these intense feelings, I think that we may even see that they're there, but we choose to ignore them because it's like, oh, yeah, well, he said this to me and I didn't like it, but he gives me flowers and he has a big dick or it's great <laughs> sex or whatever the case is, you know, seriously, that, that it literally will blindside you. you sex know for women, it can I be was, very intense.
0: I was about to say, I feel like half of these <laughs> toxic relationships, you stay in them because the sex is good. You would not stay with a man yes. who cannot satisfy you properly if he was bad in all these other areas. I will literally start asking, like when, when girls come to me with problems, I'll be like, Okay, he's toxic, but the sex is good, right? So that's why you're staying. So just think about that next time. Like, that's literally why you're staying. You have to have some kind of satisfaction in that relationship because you wouldn't be there. I mean, maybe you would. Now, I don't think know. think.
1: Yeah, think about it like this, though, too. So when, when you're having sex, we are literally releasing neurotransmitters like oxytocin, serotonin, all of these love neurotransmitters. This is what was... being transferred in the womb when we were with our mothers, right? So if you are associating sex with intimacy, even though it may be a toxic situation, it becomes a lot easier to be binded to that person. That's why I always tell people too, there's nothing wrong with having sex on the first date if you want to. But if you are the type of person who gets emotionally involved, you have to understand at a DNA cellular level, we are literally exchanging energy with somebody. And so when you have sex with that person, and now you have all of these love hormones that are being transferred into your brain, you may all of a sudden start to think you have emotions for that person. And that can blindside you a little bit and distract you from the things that really might be happening or the things that you may have otherwise been seeing had sex not been involved. So I do want to kind of say too and validate that When somebody says well the sex is good they may not just be talking about okay the sex is pleasurable because let's be honest i mean you can bust out a toy and you can (laughs) you know you can pleasure yourself there's sex is a dime a dozen i think what they're really saying is that they're getting the intimacy And they might be feeling these emotions and this connection, or they think they are. And Mm -hmm. so I think when you involve sex, it does get more complicated. And by all means, like we we made the post today and people are Mm -hmm. like, oh, you can have sex if you want. And some people are like, you need to respect your body. And here's the thing, if you wanna have sex with somebody, you know, you do so try to do it safely. But just understand, you have to know yourself and what you're looking for and what you want. If you know that you're looking for a healthy relationship, it may not be in your best interest to sleep with somebody early on before you truly get to know them to see is this person compatible? And is this person going to be a healthy person to bring into my life? So that would be my advice. But in all honesty, you know, if you do have sex on the first date or if you do have sex early on, that's okay too. But just know that, yes, when you're in a relationship and you say the sex is good, it sure can be. It sure can be. But there's other things going on, which is which is why it may be keeping you there.
0: I interviewed a male dating coach uh, a while ago, and he said that girls are looking at sex as a confirmation that a guy likes them. In a ser- like, they're just putting sex on a pedestal that men don't. So I feel like a lot, I mean, a lot of girls, as they're having sex, they're like, okay, this guy really likes me because, you know, th- that's what they see as intimacy. But for men, sex is not that, I mean, I don't want to say for all men or for all women, but men don't look at sex so deeply. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's at least what I've seen in the past 31 years that I've been on this planet and coming back to the post that you would share today. So, in the post, I said that women can have sex on a first date if they feel some kind of connection or if they felt, you know, really comfortable with the guy. And it doesn't have to, it doesn't mean that it's going to be a one night stand and you're never going to see each other again. I know a lot of couples who got married after having sex on the first date. So, it's not a rule. Everything is, a, there's an exception for every rule. But at the same time, you can't just obviously sleep with whatever man you find a little bit attractive. So, it, you have to, do whatever feels comfortable for you but if it does happen to you that you sleep with somebody and he doesn't call you or he doesn't you know he, he literally goes to you that has nothing to do with you he did that because that's literally all he wanted he didn't want a relationship or at least not with you so i would love for you to speak a little bit about rejection and how to deal with You know, if you're putting some time, if you put in some time towards a guy and you think it's going the right way, but then, you know, you sleep together and then he completely changes his behavior.
1: So rejection hurts no matter who you are. It's not fun. It's not pleasant. There's nothing wrong with you if you're feeling those feelings because you're human. But what I would say to that, because I've been there myself and I can personally say, and even in my history, that I've been in situations where I thought a guy was going to be one way. We sleep together, things change, and then I get disappointed because I had expectations of what I thought the person was going to be like or where I thought things were going to go. But hindsight, I can see in almost all of my situations, I really didn't know the person. I didn't really know, know the person because for me, I think I had to get to the point where I had to have a really strong sense of self and who I am, what my worth is, and what I'm looking for in a partner. And I think when you can get really clear on what you're looking for, and when I say clear, I'm, write it down if you have to. Journaling. I, want this to, journaling, I started journaling. Anything.
0: Oh my God. Yes. I started journaling. It's so good. Okay. Yes. Sorry. Yes. Back. And
1: and journaling is a great way to process your emotions and to get really clear on what you're looking for and what you want. And sometimes just writing it down and visually seeing it can help you to actually implement it in your life. So I think when you can get really clear on, okay, I am looking for a partner that wants a long term relationship that is financially stable, someone I can have fun with. When you meet somebody. It's really important that you take your time to get to know the person. And if you know that you're the type of person, if you sleep with somebody that you get emotionally connected and then you kind of put the blinders on with some of those things, then you may want to wait a little bit. And that's something that I had to do. I had to get to the point where I'm like, you know what? I know how I am. I know I can get really emotionally vested quickly if I have sex. So let me wait and not have sex so early on. So that way I can think clearly, I can see clearly, and then I can see if this person is a potential partner. But here's the thing. If you do sleep with the person and they end up going ghost, they did you a favor. That's not the person for you. And so it's also about shifting your mindset too, because if that person goes ghost or if that person rejects you, because of course, like we don't go into situations, ghost me, please. Sometimes we don't know (laughs) some, some people really truly are manipulative and some people will say and do what they need to do to get what they want. So Again, I think if you get really clear on what you want and you have a really strong sense of self, if they do ghost you or they do end up being not who you'd hoped they'd be, it's coming from a different perspective to say like, okay, you know what? I saved myself a shitload of time and now that person can be moved out my path so that way I can welcome a healthy person and now meet my potential match. And so if you come from that perspective, it's a little easier to deal with it because rejection is never fun, but it's almost always about the other person and not about you. And sometimes neither party is a bad person. It just might be a compatibility issue. And also you have to understand too that if you are coming from a place of maybe you're a good communicator, that person may not be there yet, right? Mm -hmm. They may not have the communication skills to just say like, hey, I had a great time with you, but I don't think that this is compatible. And maybe they started off with good intentions, but then maybe they changed their mind or maybe they started to think like, okay, this is maybe not somebody I can see a long-term future with. And they may just not have the communication skills to say that to you. And that's a possibility too. But... One thing I would, I would give advice to is that you don't always need that person to give you an answer to provide you closure. No answer is an answer. If they wanted to, they would. And -hmm. you have to give yourself that closure and know that like, okay, I know I'm a good person. I know this is what I want. That person just wasn't for me and, and move forward because you may not always get the closure from the person and that's okay.
0: And I will add to that, that maybe they just don't see the situation the same way you do. And mm-hmm. they are giving you their type of closure. And they think they gave you some kind of closure, but they just didn't. You just see it the situation completely different. And if somebody does ghost you or somebody... Just decides like you know to stop seeing you or breaks up with you. They also have the right to do that. I feel like we always get into this mindset like, oh, he ghosted me, he did this, and I agree that's not nice. I always say ghosting is for losers. You should at least, but at at the same time, not ghosting like oh, you go to one date or two dates and like you don't like them, so you don't call them again. But like if you've been dating somebody for a long time, and then all of a sudden they just you know they they start. Maybe they saw something in you that they didn't like, and we have the right to walk away. You know, we always preach, walk away from a situation if you see that it's not healthy for you. Maybe that guy saw something in you that he didn't like. Maybe he didn't like the way you, I don't know, talk to your family. Maybe he didn't like your work ethic. Maybe he didn't like whatever it may be, but also don't, th- don't take rejection so personal because Everybody has the right to be with the person they find compatible with. I don't know if this made sense, but I just feel like, you know, a lot it, of girls are like, oh, he ghosted me. But I'm like, you guys are not even compatible.
1: I'll say this too, with with ghosting. I think that there's a difference between setting a boundary and that person not adhering to that boundary and then deciding to leave, then ghosting where you're just not giving any communication, you're not setting any boundaries, you're not giving the person any opportunities to maybe fix the situation or communicate their needs, then yes, that's ghosting. But If Again, if you're in an abusive situation or an unsafe situation, you have every right to just ghost. You don't have to say anything. But I would encourage those that are listening that if you do have something, like maybe you're a guy listening right now and there's something about the other person that maybe you don't like or maybe they said something that bothered you, I would encourage you to communicate that because they may not even know that it's a problem. They may not even know that they're doing it. And sometimes it really just comes down to communication and sometimes it is compatibility. And I always say, too, if you're on the other end and somebody just doesn't communicate a need and they just goes to you, again, they're just saving you time because I look at it like this. I want a partner that knows how to communicate a need. So if that person has really poor communication skills and they weren't even able, or they didn't have the balls to just say like, Hey, I didn't like this, or I don't feel like we're compatible, then that's not the type of partner I want anyway. So you just did me a solid favor. But again, that goes back to knowing what you want and knowing what kind of person you are. And that's the relationship you have to establish with yourself first before you go out into the dating field. Because if you don't have a healthy relationship with yourself and you don't even know what you want in a partner, how can you expect to attract that in your life? And be clear with the other person.
0: A hundred percent. And I feel like we speak a lot about all the red flags and all the negativity, but I love that we touched on healthy relationships and what a healthy relationship looks like and what you should actually ask for in a partner. So I will say, for me personally, when I started dating my boyfriend, it was just so easy. It was very normal. I just felt very comfortable. I didn't have to pretend, I didn't have to, you know, play any games. And I saw that for me, I really valued how easy everything was with him. It was, I was never questioning. I was never thinking, oh, does he like me? Does he not like me? Because if a man likes you, he will let you know. He will. Please don't say, oh, he might be shy or he might no." If he likes you, he's going to let you know. But, I mean, if he doesn't let you know, then like he's just, if if you like that type of guy that's like playing games and like, you know, make you question, that's, you do that. But I really liked that my boyfriend like made me very secure and very loved. And what is, I mean, I can go on and on about my boyfriend, but tell me what is,
1: (laughs) uh, and he is a very private person, so... Uh, I love so, introverts. <laughs> introverts are sexy to me. I don't know what it is. Like I love a man who doesn't have like hardly any followers or private Instagram like that sexy. I wanted to talk about
0: your dating right now. First, actually, <laughs> I want to ask you Lack uh, of. <laughs> healthy relationships. What are some healthy? What are some green flags for you personally? What is something you you would not budge
1: on like at all? Green flags. And so I think for me, knowing my deal breakers is helpful. Because there are things that I know even coming into a situation for the very beginning, if you are a smoker, if you don't like kids, if you don't like to travel, those are things that are 100% deal breakers for me. So I'm not even going to move forward to waste my time because I know these things are super important to me because I have a child. I do not tolerate smoking. So those are just some things from the very beginning. But I would say green flags is not being confused because... I think when you're confused, it's not for you. And I value communication and those are my values. So I think you have to get clear with what you're looking for and what your values are and what you want in a partner, because then you can recognize what those green flags look like. And I think that when you're not confused and when it's just easy and when you don't have to question the person's intentions, that's a green flag to me. But also, I think commonly we look for a lot of red flags when we have a traumatic background, right? Because we're conditioned to look for those as a survival instinct. Because if again, if you grew up in a toxic household and that's what you're used to as an adult, you're going to seek out those red flags or look for them out of fear like, okay, is he going to do this? Is he going to do this? Is he going to do this? Because you may have to prepare for a rejection. So sometimes having a different perspective and looking for the green flags can be a better way to navigate a new relationship. Does he show up on time? Does he call when he says he's gonna call? If he doesn't, does he communicate why he wasn't able to? Does he show up for the important events in your life? Maybe it's a graduation or maybe it's something important to you. Does he cheer you on? Does he talk to you when you need someone to talk to? Are you somebody who really values physical touch? Is he intimate with you? I would say when you get clear on the things that you want, and if that person is showing up for you, of course, there's going to be some bumps in the road, but those are green flags. Those are signs of a healthy relationship. But my number one is communication. If you go through a conflict with somebody, your partner, your potential partner, because it's going to happen that is life we are human we go through conflicts how does that person handle that conflict does he berate and yell and scream does he completely avoid altogether and brush it under the rug like nothing ever happened or does he or she communicate their needs listen to yours And then try to come up with a solution in order to move forward. To me, that's the number one green flag, in my personal opinion, and what I want in a partner. Because if you can communicate, then you can get through conflict. And I think when you can see how someone handles conflict, that's a really good indicator of how the relationship is going to progress forward.
0: You mentioned... That one of your uh, non-negotiables is that somebody who loves to travel, non-smoker and likes kids, because obviously you have a daughter. When you start dating somebody, how do you tell them you have a, I have a lot of, I have a lot of girls who are like, oh, I started dating a guy and I'm a single mom. I don't know how to break it to them. What do you
1: suggest? Immediately. You just say it. You just say it. It doesn't have to be an entire conversation. It literally can be one of the first things that you tell the person, just like you ask, what are your hobbies? Like, oh, I like to go kayaking. I like to go to the theme parks with my daughter. I like to go out to eat. It can literally be something so casual. You don't have to make it into a whole conversation that's so serious because Although it's good to ask serious questions up front, I feel like when you get a little too serious with somebody, it can throw a man off, right? You want it to be light and free flowing. But again, I don't think that it needs to be a serious conversation because it's an extension of who you are you can't be with somebody who, who doesn't want to date somebody with a kid. And sometimes there are people out there that don't want to date people with kids and that's okay. So it's so much better to be upfront. I'm going to be honest with you. I have it on my dating profile. I just say, I'm a veteran, mom of a beautiful 13 year old girl, love to travel, love to go out to eat. I'm a foodie. And I really keep it that simple. And I don't think I've ever had a problem or have come across anyone that had an issue with the fact that I have a child, but if you're struggling to say, go ahead.
0: No, I was just saying like, if, if you create a situation out of it, if you create it into like a serious conversation, then they're going to look at it like that. If you just say it casually, as you just said, they're going to be like, oh yeah, cool. She has a daughter. Okay. Moving on. Let's go kayaking. You know? Yeah. Yeah.
1: The the sooner, the better, because that way you're allowing that person to decide if they want to move forward with you. And if they don't, then you saved yourself a lot of time because what, what worse situation than to go on five, six dates with somebody and then be like, by the way, I have two kids and then they flake out and that could be hurtful. And then that feels, you know, feels bad. So just tell them immediately.
0: Yeah. And I feel like they can also be like, yo, I've been dating this guy for a while I mean, the guy can be like, oh, I've been dating this girl for a while. She has a daughter. She just told me just now. You know, I feel like you should just be open in the very beginning.
1: I'll be honest, too. Like, I had a guy just recently that I matched with. And I was like, oh, he's cute. And I don't really see too many guys in my area, because I live in Orlando. There's really not a lot of good-looking guys that I've seen. So I'm like, oh, he's cute. And then I saw he's got five kids. And there's no judgment against anyone who has five kids, but literally where my mind went was, okay, I love traveling. I'm ready to settle down and potentially get married to somebody, to the right person what if I'm with somebody, he's not going to be able to afford to take six kids to Europe three Mm -hmm. times a year. So that doesn't fit my lifestyle. Do I want five kids in my home, even if it's on the weekend? Oh, I can't do that. I'm too introverted. I need my space. So, but I love that it's right there. That's part of who he is. And then I got to decide like, eh, I don't think this is for me. I'm going to pass. So that's a good example of why it's important to be upfront. If somebody just got a divorce and they're like a little confused,
0: how to start dating again? Give us a few tips.
1: I think first and foremost, a lot of people go from one relationship to the next very quickly for multiple different reasons, whether it's to not feel the feelings that comes with a breakup or a divorce, or whether it's maybe codependency, they don't want to be alone, Or maybe they just really enjoy dating and they're ready to get back out there. I would say first, you have to make sure that you process and you do the inner work that's required for yourself. Because... I don't care what situation you were. If you just got divorced or you just got out of a relationship, there's no way that you're ready to jump right into another relationship within the first six months. And I would even say 12. You need to give yourself time to process everything that happened, to learn from everything that happened. What lessons were you? What lessons were there for you that you need to learn in order to be a better version of yourself? Because if you don't learn the lessons from your previous relationships, you are doomed to repeat them. The universe will always put things in your path that are very similar to what you experienced in the past, unless you've learned the lessons in order to not repeat them. So I would say first, do the inner work, process your feelings, whether that's through therapy or journaling, meditation, whatever that means for you. Learn a little bit about what lessons were there for you in order to move forward. And then when you feel ready, then get back into the dating field. And I would say too, don't go into the dating field expecting that you're gonna meet your next husband right away. There's gonna be some frogs that are out there, maybe a (laughs) lot, (laughs) have fun, go with the flow. And then when you meet that person that really checks those boxes for you, then put your energy and your time into it. Um, I like how you say often to, to go out in person and try to meet people. Online dating, I think, can be okay too, but it is a little bit harder to navigate. Energy online versus in person. So, if you're in a bigger city or a bigger area, if you can go out, I think that that's always better too. And another tip I would say is that oftentimes we can be really distracted and miss opportunities around us because we're often on our phones a lot. We're looking down, we have headphones in our ear. So, if you're ready to put yourself out there, you have to open your energy a little bit. And this is something I'm working on myself because I noticed I was always distracted. And I may have missed opportunities from maybe guys who were interested in me, but they didn't get that eye contact. They didn't get that like that okay to come up to me. So I would say open your energy, too, and and don't be on your phone. Maybe put your phone away. Be open to any opportunities. And then lastly, I would say don't date by type. Throw type out the window, because when you have a specific type, you tend to only want to date people that check every single box. And the reality is is that that's probably not gonna happen most of the time. And if you open up yourself a little bit to maybe types that you wouldn't usually date, you might be surprised at what you start becoming attracted to. I was only attracted to one type of guy for years. And when I tell you one type, I'm talking like even physically, you had to look (laughs) a certain way, light skin, pretty, like I liked a certain type of guy. And I started opening myself up to different races, different ethnicities, different types of men. And I started to become more attracted. And then that also, it's a numbers game. It opens up the pool to more types of guys. So don't date by type. Try to just stay open and, and go from there.
0: I love that. Oh my God. I feel like this was a therapy session for me too. Even <laughs> though I didn't, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good mentally right now. So I'm grateful for that as well. I feel like we should just plan you coming down to Miami and you can, uh, we can have a little girls night. I mean, obviously I'm in a healthy, happy
1: relationship, but I'm happy to be your wing woman. <laughs> oh, listen, I, I need the help because Orlando, listen, I'm trying my best, but. It just, it's not working. So I'm open to anyone listening. If you have a brother, if you have a cousin, <laughs> send them my way, I'm open to it. When somebody does find themselves in
0: an abusive, toxic relationship and they wanna leave, but they just don't know how, exactly like you said, you just didn't know how to kick him out of the, the you didn't know how to kick him out from the house because you guys lived together or you owned it together or something what would you say to those girls who are in a relationship and they want to leave? They are not safe. They just want to get the fuck out of there, but they don't know how. They might not have family. Maybe they're immigrants. Literally give me step by
1: step. What would you suggest to those girls or men? Right. That's a great question because oftentimes we don't, plan to be in those situations. And being in an abusive situation, they will often isolate the victim from their family and their friends. So it can be difficult to now reach out to relationships that have been cut off from possibly years. The first thing I would say is to have a safety plan because not everybody is ready to leave. Not everybody has the means to leave. So have a plan with how you're gonna follow through. Have a bag packed, maybe have somebody that you can call and have a code word in case something happens or maybe when you need to be picked up. Have a place that you can go to, whether it's a friend's house, a family's house, a domestic violence shelter, know where those shelters are. And this is all going to be within your safety plan. Now, whether you write this plan down or whether you just have it in your your head or whether you have a friend write these things down, knowing this information ahead of time is gonna be pertinent because most of the times and the statistics show that the most dangerous time to leave The most dangerous time in an abusive situation is when the victim tries to leave. And oftentimes that is when a murder happens, when a severe injury happens, is when the person is finally trying to leave. So having this plan in place ahead of time is pertinent because you don't know when that time is going to come. It can be three o'clock on a Wednesday that you find an opportunity when he's at work or maybe when he's at the store that you have to take that opportunity and get out. So knowing a plan ahead of time, step number one, start putting aside money. You know, if you have the means to start putting aside money, start doing that now because oftentimes they will not only isolate you from other people, but there can be financial manipulation and control where you have no access to finances because most of the time abusers are trying to keep you oppressed. They want to maintain control. And how do they do that? Isolation? Finances, they take any control that you may have away from you. So if you can make a separate bank account, if you can put, I remember I was telling my best friend, giving her money, here, put it in this bank account, sending her pictures of proof of the abuse, save these pictures for me. I wouldn't save it on my phone, okay? He would, even if you did, he would take your phone and delete them. Right, right. So I didn't put anything on my phone. Also, another thing I would say is your browser history. Make sure that you're clearing your browser history or have a friend or have someone else maybe look up where the domestic violence shelter is or look up things that are related to you leaving because you don't want to have anything in the browser history in case the abuser can find it. Because again, oftentimes if they see that you're getting ready to leave, that is when you are in the most danger. So having a plan and then start making moves for those plans is going to be important. And if you can find ways to get resources in order to help you cope, things like this podcast podcast, resources online therapy whatever that whatever resources that you have access to that can help you cope and help you to utilize those tools when you need it is important as well and sometimes you're just not ready to leave and that's okay you know there are people who have invested time sometimes they have kids and it's just not easy for them to to just pack up and and leave so at least having a safety plan or maybe even having a code word for somebody to to call the police if you need help or to get access out of the home if you need to
0: I will add one thing to that. Even when you do end up finally leaving, if he he might wanna try to get back with you,
1: mm-hmm.
0: please don't believe his lies. Like, just yes. please don't, please don't. You know, oftentimes people ask me, can people change? Can, like, if I get back together with my ex, this and that, maybe people can change if they did the work and they realized what they did wrong. But if you think that you leave your abusive boyfriend and he's like, oh, but I'll change. I promise I'm not going to do this again. No, you had this conversation. How many times? Like a million probably. Like you just don't get up and leave one day when you had enough. You were like, it was was a long, long process that you were tolerating this. And then one day you finally got the courage and left. But please remember that he is going to come after you maybe not in a negative way, maybe he's just gonna try to beg you to come back, but please remember that nothing's gonna change. He might put on a facade for a few months that he's a changed man, but you know, everybody's true colors come out. Again, if he did the work, if he does go to therapy, if he's trying to real, like if if he tries to actually make himself better, I feel like situations in that case, it can change. But if the same type of behavior continues, obviously nothing's gonna be any different.
1: Yeah. Abusers don't change. It's, it's very rare. And oftentimes with the cycle of abuse, they're going to dangle the carrot in front of you. And it's going to be the honeymoon phase and then the devaluation phase and then the abuse starts. I went through it. And so you a lot of people, they, they look at me, especially if they know me or they listen to my podcast, and they're like, how is it that someone like you were in an abusive situation? And I'm like... Abuse doesn't, doesn't discriminate, right? I am who I am today because I put in the work after I went through that situation and I had to learn and grow, but I was that person. I went back time and time and time again and believed the lies and believed the manipulation. He's gonna change, he's gonna do this. Oh, And it got better for a while, but it always resorts back to the same thing. And I'm telling you, it took for that to happen in front of my kid for me to finally get the courage to be like, Enough is enough because I am literally modeling this behavior for my daughter, and she's going to grow up thinking that this is okay. And I literally would picture my daughter in a relationship and somebody putting their hands on her because I'll go to jail. I'll go to <laughs> if, if you touch my kid, I'm going to jail. And like literally, why am I putting so much love and respect and protection for my kid, but I couldn't even put that love, respect, and and protection for myself? And you have to just get to a point of like unconditional love and self-worth for yourself. And if you're not there yet though, it's okay. I still validate you. And and sometimes you just have to go through your own journey to get to where you can finally leave. It took me six years. So if someone like me can get through it and get, get to a place where I'm at now, I just wanna give you guys hope that if you're going through this situation and you're listening, get help. There is light at the end of the tunnel. It gets harder sometimes before it gets better, but it does get better. I promise you. And it's so worth it. And you're worth so much more than staying in an unsafe or unhealthy or toxic situation.
0: I feel like everybody who, you know, if, when you look at a lot of people who you feel like, oh, they're so self-aware, they're so secure, they're, you know, like me and you, for example, There's always some kind of trauma that happened that made us into the people we are today. And I don't really share much about my past, but if people saw me like two years ago, they would not recognize me. Not at all. Not even you, Carice, even though like you know me pretty well, Same, like you would just not recognize, you know, what some people were before, but it just takes a lot of hard, hard work and people it's funny when people are like. But what do you mean hard work? I literally schedule my self-care time. Not not like I'm going to put a mask on, but I schedule that I'm going to journal. I put it in my calendar. I literally put it in my calendar mm-hmm. because when I see it in Same. my calendar and I see that I don't do it, I just feel like I disappointed myself. And I schedule time that when I'm going to journal, when I'm going to go to the gym, when I'm going to go manifest whatever. Like I just I mean, I don't put it specifically. Like, I just put in times, this is me time. And I know what me time means. And I'm working on myself. I don't like, I really love working on myself. I like to learn new things. I love to learn new skills. And I love to learn different ways that can make my life easier. So literally, I started journaling. And I, I just don't know what, I, what I've been doing all these years without journaling. I swear to God. And I like, love that i i I posted this the other day um when i had my epiphany i'm like journaling is literally like going to a meeting with the universe and you're telling them (laughs) what they want you're you're telling the universe what you want because you're writing it down and then everything is just everything just seems more doable because it's right in front of you and then when you have a let's say if you have a note like oh i want to Whatever, I'm just not I'm not gonna go that deep into journaling right now. I can have I'll have a separate podcast about journaling and meditation. Well it, and it's it's a form it's a that. form
1: of therapy. It it yeah. really is a form of therapy, you know, and and oftentimes um there's something called automatic writing. So when you're writing things down, you're connecting with your higher self, you know, and I'm a very spiritual person. I know you are too. And so Oftentimes you can give yourself self-awareness and insight that you didn't even know you had. And it can be mm-hmm. a really, really good way to process emotions and feelings. I I mean, I've had Vietnam vets that I've worked with that were not able to talk about their traumatic event, but when they would draw or when they mm-hmm. would write, they would be they were able to process all of these emotions that they otherwise could not process with their words. And so it's it's a different type of processing and therapy when you can actually get your thoughts down on paper and sometimes when you start prioritizing your self-care you got to look at it like brushing your teeth or working Mm -hmm. out or oh I have to go to work today you have to sit down and prioritize it and sometimes writing it down and putting it in a calendar can be the thing that actually makes you follow through with it because when you write something down you're more likely to follow through with it vice if you just say oh I'm gonna I'm going to go to the gym today or I'm going to meditate today. Well, then something comes up or someone calls or the kids had to do this or, you know, something happened and it didn't get done. But if you write it down, it's like, okay, no, it's in my calendar. I have to do it. And so that is your tool and your coping or that is your tool and your toolbox that is allowing you to follow through. So good job.
0: I will have to say, thank you, by the way, I will have to say <laughs> that I get very surprised when I hear that people don't work on themselves, like you don't actually put in the work to be a better human being or to learn something new. And you're just like going through life. Like you're just, you know, like, like you're not the main character. They,
1: they were ne- they were not taught. They may have not been taught to do that because if they were I mean, were constantly... I was not taught either.
0: I, just, I taught myself.
1: <laughs> True, so same. But if you're constantly going through life that you are responsible for everyone else around you, you may be a people pleaser, you may not know how to prioritize your own self care. And that takes self awareness, self insight, and it takes a lot of work to get to that point. I was that person, I never prioritized my growth. That wasn't something that even crossed my mind, because I had so much other stuff going on. And I was always so worried about Is this person going to accept me? How does this person feel about me that I couldn't even think about my own self-care? But baby steps, right? So even if you can stick and implement one thing, okay, I'm going to start journaling every day for five minutes. And then maybe when you get used to doing that, then maybe you add in something else. Okay, I'm going to meditate 10 minutes after that every single day. Okay, now I'm going to go to the gym three times a week. So getting used to implementing that self-care can can happen in steps because oftentimes we're not taught that. So you have to teach yourself and that's not always easy either. So one thing at a time, one day at a time, one step at a time, and then You can go, go full in.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Don't be so hard on yourself and think that you need to, don't be hard on yourself in the sense that you need to do everything at once. Like, oh, I have to become spiritual. I have to start working out. I have to change my job. I have to find a new guy. Like when you put too much on your plate, it's very hard to get everything done. So as you said, baby steps and things are going to work out, but you do have to put in the work. That is very important. Thank you for this conversation. I feel like I learned a lot. I highly suggest people check out Caris' podcast and all of your social platforms because your podcasts are literally free therapy. So share where everybody can follow you.
1: Yeah. So my podcast is called Diary of an Empath. I'm on every podcast streaming platform. You can also follow me on TikTok, Diary of an Empath podcast, and on Instagram. It's just my name, Carice underscore K-E-R-E-S-S-E underscore. I'm sure Coco will link everything. But yeah, if you want to contact me, you can do it through there. And and I post mostly stuff that is mental health related and self-care and just being a better human. That's really what my podcast is all about. So um, I also speak in a I publish a journal recently so if you're into oh, yeah, journaling you can that. also yeah yeah it's diary of an journal and diary of an empath that's also on amazon so you can get it from there I'll link, if, you, if you want to do it i will link that down below as well thank you carice
0: again and i'll see you guys oh no i forgot to say uh, everybody please rate subscribe uh leave a five-star review for this podcast and i'll see you in the next episode